five four three two one zero and liftoff. Dispatches, a production of Blur Bank, is an in-depth look at those living artistic lives. Each episode will feature photographs and audio interviews with narrative pioneers who have taken creativity and publishing in their own hands. From artists to authors, photographers to philosophers, Dispatches will reveal the faces and foundations of those who lead the creative way. Hey everybody, I am coming to you today from one of my favorite places in the world, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I'm with a, a long, pretty much long time friend, uh, Manesh uh, Bakrania, who's a photographer based here in New Mexico. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. We, how long ago was it? Like six, eight, ten years we met? I think Roughly. it was 2013. Oh, God. I, yeah, sorry. How you have a memory for that, I have no idea, but you do, well, and I, I'm impressed. Have, as we'll get to, I have the previous life and my current life. Oh. And it was right at the beginning of my current life. So. Okay. And where do you, you're not from New Mexico originally? No, I uh, was actually born in Scotland. I moved to Florida when I was three, or my parents moved to Florida when I was three, and I went with them. Um, went to live there, went to college in Tallahassee, and then went to graduate school at University of Washington, and then moved to New Mexico in 2005. Jesus, Scotland. I would have never, yeah, you, never guessed. <laughs> I didn't know about Scotland. I thought about wearing my kilt. With <laughs> well, as long as you got something on underneath it, then I don't have a problem with that. But that's as far as it's going to go. Uh, and so you've been here since 2005. That's a pretty good run. I guess that's about maybe the time I arrived here, too. Maybe a couple years before I moved here part-time, but it doesn't matter. Well, I remember seeing your New Mexico project. I mean, that's what... That's that was the initial, you know, impetus for reaching out. Maybe it was before that actually. It was just like 2012. Yeah, uh, maybe so. Anyway, I don't remember. It's been so long since I've worked on that project. I kind of forgotten about it. But so, but here's the, here's one of the first wrinkles with you that I absolutely love. So I'm looking at your site yesterday, and I'm looking at the bio. And I knew that you worked at the Los Alamos lab, and I knew that you were in. You were a physicist, or formerly a physicist, I should say. Now, I guess you are for the rest of your life. But in your bio, it said experimental nuclear physicist. And I just started laughing because to me, when I hear physicist, one, I think, okay, there's a lot of math involved. I'd never be able to be one of those people. And then two, I kind of look at nuclear physicist as not a risky thing, uh, but but like, you know, wow, this is kind of out there. And then the title experimental on the front, I had this vision of like bonfires and you guys throwing strange things in the bonfire. But what is an experimental nuclear physicist? And is it true you need to know math? <laughs> the more math you know, the uh, better off you are. Okay. Which was one of my failings because I never did much. I, n I never did well in math. Um, as far as experiments go, I mean, it's interesting from a photography point of view because we were essentially looking at atomic nuclei and looking at the light they produce and trying to record that. It was very much like photography. It's just light of a different color, essentially. Wow. Um, but it was for uh, nuclear nonproliferation and nuclear forensics. So looking at samples from other places, like, you know, does the sample contain something that – are people trying to hide the fact that they're making a nuclear weapon or okay. is there a way to better measure that or you – know, Really? Was, people are more... trying to hide that? Hmm. That's a first to me. <laughs> <laughs> if I tell you anymore, I'll have to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Put me out of my misery. And so, I mean, that's got to be a pretty heavy job working at the lab. Yes. No, How maybe. so? How so? Well, I mean, I went in the lab. I was able to go in the lab back in the early 90s with a photographer for Time Magazine whose brother, who for all I know is still working at the lab, 
his brother was like the yeah the he, he still is where okay he had, the, he, the PIO yeah. and so I'm pretty sure at that point they had that we got into places where they had never allowed photographers to go and clean suits and plutonium and like the buildings the old wooden sheds where Oppenheimer had worked that had fallen down that had like literally an inch inch and a half of dust on the floor no one had been in these buildings and the lab just seemed like this super heavy place of like secrecy but also you know importance and they had the security crew that would protect the building if the alarms went off and stuff i had an absolute blast but it did feel it wasn't like working at uh, walmart or installing hot tubs like i did in high school there was no you know serious element and you know that's like you know you think about the the brains that are in that city los alamos and the you know the, the people who are there it just seems like it would be a pretty interesting lifestyle it's you know the, the the city itself or the town rather it's like eighteen thousand. It's an interesting place to live. I still live there. Um, the lab itself, you know, there's this there's this huge history that it has, which I still find fascinating. I mean, I've always been interested in nuclear history, and I've and and I still find that fascinating. Um, the lab, you know, it's you get the the things that most people looking in from the outside or the things that people are wowed by, they're very routine to the people who work there. Sure. I mean, you know, I'm driving here today, and I see a couple of black pickup trucks with, like, lights and antennas and stuff on them, and it's like, oh, yeah, those guys. And that's just normal. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of, of, of normal or abnormal, so you, when I met you, you were just coming out of that career. Right. And you were looking at photography um, in, in a serious way, you were looking at it not just as a hobby, but something that you were wanting to invest more, more of your life in. But what, going back, what was the moment that you, one, first picked up a camera and just whatever, shot whatever, but then two, when was the moment that you kind of looked at this and said, I don't want this just to be a hobby, I want this to be more? Um, the first time, the first camera I ever had, which I still have, was an Olympus half-frame Oh, yeah, those are great. Too. Yeah, has a light leak, so I need to work on that. But my dad gave it to me. And it was a camera that his uncle had given him, and uh, or actually one of my uncles had given to him. And, you know, it was just, I didn't know what I was doing. You put a roll of film in. Sometimes you wind it correctly. Sometimes you don't. You go out and you just take pictures. I was probably five or six at the time. Um, I do remember the first time I went to a concert for the local youth orchestra, and I remember... There's a violin soloist. I remember the first half of the show, I was taking all these, you know, just running around the auditorium taking pictures. I'm sure it was annoying as hell to anybody in the audience. And then the second half, the soloist comes out. And before that, they say, the soloist has requested that nobody takes pictures during that. And I had no idea that I was just being a royal pain in the ass. But it was like, I had to document that for some reason. I don't know why. I don't even know what happened to the pictures. But that's that was my first real memory of intentionally taking photographs. And, and so, then it was always a hobby until, I guess it was always a hobby, you know, until my son was born. And then I started taking photographs of him. It was an excuse to buy a, buy a new digital, you know, it was like one of the first digital cameras I ever had was when he was, he's eight and a half now. So yeah, I bought a Rebel and I was like, oh, I'm going to take some pictures. And then people saw the pictures and said, oh, come take pictures of my kids or friends Uh-oh. or families. That's or, how it starts. That's how it started. And I was like, oh, I can use this camera to go and tell cool stories or meet interesting people or I, I one of the first documentary projects I did was the big Los Conchos fire here in Los Alamos and you know the whole town was evacuated I went back in told the police chief hey this is what I'm doing he said go for it and that's unbelievable it was you know it was cool to be on the front lines to see what was happening and people I think appreciated the images as well so 
That's the that's the fire that burned right up to the edge of the lab, correct? Um, that was the second big fire. The first one was in 2001, 2000, 2001. Oh, I remember that one because yeah. I think my buddy's family lost their house. In right. That one. That's when a lot of houses were burned. This time it didn't burn into town proper, um, but it took out half of Bandelier. Yeah. And it's, you know. It's heavy. Yeah. And we're, we're, <laughs> we're aiming towards another summer like that right now, unfortunately. So you made the you made the transition you you went from working in the lab to getting into photography and then you started focusing on this as as being uh as being your career basically you want to be a pro and was there of of this whole and now we're fast forwarding to 2018 you've been doing this for a while now which is i think what's really interesting for you and in particular the people that read or listen to these interviews on my site is a lot of people want to do the same thing or at least they think they want to do the same thing Wait, and, you're putting this on the internet? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, the internet's just a fad, so it won't be up oh, that okay. long anyway. Right. But people want to do it, and I think sometimes the idea of being a photographer is is better or different than it actually is being a photographer. But was there any part of the process of becoming a pro that was easier than you thought it would be? And that can be anything. That could be from making marketing materials to getting assignments to talking to clients or negotiating. Any, was there anything that was easy, or was it as difficult as you thought it would be? Oh, I I had no idea how difficult it was going to be. You know, it was it was a time in my life where I had just left the lab. I, w- I wasn't happy with my job, and I had just left the Los Alamos. And then at some point, it became clear I needed to make some money. So I said, "Well, maybe I'll. I, I guess this is the other skill I have because my math skills aren't good enough to do anything with." So, um, and so I jumped right in. I don't know if I. I probably would have thought harder about that now that I know more. So ignorance is bliss and all of that. Um, you know, the easiest part for me was the technical stuff. I, okay. You know, that that's I went yeah. to school for years about that, and uh, that wasn't a problem. And it's something I'd always been interested in. So it wasn't like, a, you know, picking up a camera was yeah. just natural. Um, running a business, you know, has its challenges. It's, it's different to wake up every morning and go photograph what you want versus – going to photograph something for a client or worrying about where your next, you know, I have to feed a kid yeah, and uh, where that's all coming from. Well, my next question was what was the difficult part? But I think as a, you know, uh, being a photographer is an amalgam of all these different skills that you have to have. Well, you can be a photographer and just do it for pure fun or the pure art of it. And, but then when you, you attach making a, make turning it into a living, then there's a whole nother set of challenges that come with that. Sure, and I, I at one point in my life did the exact same thing. I said, photography, I want something more from this. I went to, So I went to school, studied that, got out, said, okay, I want to be a pro. I did that, and then when I quit in 2010, um, from that moment on, I've, I probably like photography as much or more than I ever have, but I don't have that gene in me anymore saying, this is what you want to do for a living because I'm so selfish now. I only want to shoot what I want to shoot, and I don't really care what happens to it afterwards. And so for me, there was a big... When I became, quote unquote, a professional, it ch- something changed for me. Back to you, and I have no idea where we were. Oh, it was about, you know, the, the transition of becoming a pro and like easy things and difficult things. Well, here's a question for you. What does it mean to be a professional? Uh, to me, it means when you're, you're making your living through the, through the endeavor of whatever it is. If you're, if you're a, a guy who loves plumbing and you do it for fun, that's one thing. But if you're basically making your living and your livelihood off of it, I think that that's when it becomes your profession or professional that that is a good question because it's a slippery slope now as to who's a pro i mean it's crazy to me a friend of mine was shooting yesterday and he was talking about getting hassled by the police and i said how often does that happen to you and he said every single time i go out now 
because they look at him as a quote unquote professional. And my friend's point was standing right next to him are 10 people on cell phones putting stuff on Instagram that's getting instant views, but the police haven't caught up to that yet. It's still like this archaic, you know, idea of like what a pro is, but that's in photography, that's been obliterated. So, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I'm happy now that I don't have to work in that that arena because every time I think about doing them, it just kind of gives me flashbacks. And I love photography so much that I'm selfish. I just want to do what I want to do. But at the same time, what I've loved about you from day one is you always just, you always had this attitude of kind of, I'll figure it out. You know, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because I probably wasn't the most encouraging person saying, oh, great idea. Leave the lab, <laughs> you know, go into photography. I would have probably been like, mm, you know. I think you're still trying to figure out what you were looking at back then. <laughs> but, it, you know, that's a, it's a great attitude to have, and it's worked out for you, which is cool to see that you're still cranking. And I go to your website from time to time, and there's new stuff, uh, new stuff on there. Um, when you're working, if, if you had your druthers and you were just shooting your own stuff, are you looking for singles or are you looking for stories? I could go either way, I think. I mean, I like just interesting things. I like photographing people a lot, which is weird for a former scientist, but maybe, maybe I didn't, wasn't meant to be a scientist. I don't know. Um, the, I like it when I find myself in an interesting situation or with somebody who's really doing something different, doing something that's unexpected, doing something that they're really proud of, you know, whether it's sheep for you know being a sheep farmer in these days this 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 age or iron workers or just interesting artists or musicians or anybody yeah and it's just it's it's more about the experience of going out and learning new i'm i'm curious to the point of being nosy and the camera is an excuse for that yeah that's great to make that happen that's um i'm selfish and you're curious i think that's a great great combination right are you asking me out (laughs) (laughs) And so when you're looking at a story, let's say that you, you next weekend, you're like, okay, I want to start some new project. What do, you, what do you look for when you're looking for like an essay or a project to dive into? Is there anything in particular or does it just go back to the I'm looking for interesting things? I, if I see something interesting, I'll start digging at it. And then sometimes it, most of the time it doesn't lead anywhere. Most of the time it's just a flop. I've, yeah. Um, but That's, every now and again, I'll find something interesting. You know, if I'm out, usually... You know, some of the projects I've done, it's like either start with an assignment and lead to something else, lead to something deeper, or or something that my son and I are out doing something, and, and all of a sudden we see something interesting, or he says, Dad, why does this happen? And and then it's like, oh, I don't know. Let's go figure it out. And I'm still trying to find my voice. I mean, I haven't really taken on any really in-depth projects yet because I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. You know, I've only been doing this six, seven years. Yeah. But, you know, six, seven years in modern times is like a lifetime. You know, <laughs> I, I was writing a post yesterday about working on a project and I realized that I worked on it. This It's a project I never did anything with, but I worked on it for about eight years. And when I say that to myself, it doesn't really seem like anything. And then I thought, you know what, filtering that through modern era, I should probably emphasize the fact that uh, that wasn't a typo, that I actually worked on it for eight years because everything is so, you know, compartmentalized now and, and, uh, we've sort of traded depth for speed and, right. and, uh, it can be frustrating if you're trying to spend your life making, making projects. And I mean, I think every, I was looking at the Magnum foundation stuff this morning and I think for everybody who works in that, that field, anybody who's doing in-depth stuff, it's getting, you know, it's like tighter, tighter and tighter. To, and I think, but on the flip side of that, the positive part 
is that I think it's forced a lot of people to do it on their own as opposed to doing it for other people. And I still think today that the by far the best work that photographers do is what they do on their own when they're just left to their own devices and they they get weird and they get creative and they end up making great great shit. When what do you consider great photography? I mean, what makes something great? Not just good. We're talking about like great. Is it oh, if I knew that, then I'd have party. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like like for you, when you look at imagery, like who who are some photographers that you like, or artists, or creatives, or whoever? Anyone in particular I, besides me? <laughs> me, me, and I, I, me. I don't know if you can see me. Roll, you can't see me rolling <laughs> my eyes. But um, I've always been attracted to the classic portraitists, you know, Karsh and Newman oh. and Penn and Avedon. And, and then also some of the more historical, you know, just starting to really understand the history of photography. That's something, you know, the techniques and the craft and you know, there's 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 so much good photography out there now. I mean, I, I yeah, put me on the spot here. I, well, I I like people who photograph intentionally. You know, people who appreciate the craft, appreciate you know, yeah. take and take risks with the craft too. Well, you but, brought up your first the first name that you brought up to me is like is the pinnacle is the bar Karsh. You know, and I think I I bring his name up a lot when I'm giving like talks and lectures and stuff where that sort of cross over the photography book thing to book to photography and back and forth. And I just, I love to look out and I see just glazed looks on people that don't know who that is. And, you know, they'll reference some modern photographer working and I'm like, yep, that's a, a Karsh clone or that's, you know, that person's been influenced by Karsh. And when you see that stuff, to me, you can't make anything more classic, but also you can't make anything any better than what that guy did. Right. I mean, we're all ripping off the yeah. the first people who did, the, the, they're, they're the pioneers and we're just kind of taking in what they yeah. Have done and combining, you know, you say, oh, that person's a Newman ripoff, or that person's a pen ripoff, or that, yeah. you know, the, the stuff I showed you earlier, that's all ripped off a pen, right? <laughs> well, and I remember in college, uh, I was, I went to the Harry Ransom Center at Texas, and they had this, they had archives of all the magazines, so like French photo, American photo, and they had all the news photographer magazines, and there was an article about Antony Kratokville fleeing Czechoslovakia in like the 70s, and it was, and he's a super eccentric dude, and I loved his work. And when I got out of school and I started showing my first portfolio around and I remember trying to get jobs and photographers were like, oh, you remind me of Kratokville. Your work reminds me of Kratokville. And I was like freaked out because I thought, am I copying this guy? And not like not really thinking I'm copying this guy. I love T-Max 3200. That was my favorite film. And I thought- And it's back. <laughs> and it's, I know uh, today, ironically, we're doing this. But it really was like, it bothered me that I thought maybe I was cloning that. But then I realized years and years later that it doesn't matter. We're all cloning other people, but it's what you add to the conversation and the fact that you know who you're cloning and you know what they contributed and that you can build off of it. And that's something that there's more of a reluctance today for people to do that because they're moving so quickly. Like, you know, when I ask you that question about your influences, I've asked plenty of people who just couldn't name a single photographer because they're just wrapped in their own head all the time. And so it's nice to have. And when you said Karsh off the bat, I was like, all right, you get an A. You, you, you get an A. Um, and now speaking of technique here, there's been a tr major tremor in the force because when I met you, it was digital all day. And now I see this stuff and Mr. Mr. Cool Pants here is walking around with a 4 by 5 and a Hasselblad. Craigslist, man. It's all Craigslist. <laughs> what prompted the, uh, the dabbling, the, the move and shift into film? I think it's the speed. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the speed and the intention with which you have to work shooting film. And the larger the format, the more kind of formal and more thoughtful it has to be. Um, yeah. You know, oh. I hate, you know, I, I shoot 
when I shoot commercial or editorial assignments, I go home and yeah, I have like hundreds or sometimes thousands of pictures and I just hate sitting down and looking through that. But, you know, four rolls of Tri-X through my hustle plot. And yeah, it's like <laughs> I got 48 to choose from. That's it. And yeah. it's, it's great. It's, it's very, I like that constraint or, you know. Well, that's the funny thing is for, for, for 20 years now, the film is dead crowd would always say to me, why don't you know, film, you have limited, you only this and that. I'm like, I said, what makes it great is the limitations. That I, I can't see it. I only have limited amounts. I've got to think. That's the other thing too, is seeing it. I know when I photograph with digital, I'm, I'm on my way to an assignment today. And it's like, I, I'll look at the back of the, ca- I turn the review off, but I'll, you know, I'll still look at the, the back of the camera. And I feel that holds me back because I'm not thinking about what's coming next. I'm thinking about what I did trying to interact with the subject while trying to think about what I need to do better. And if I just let my intu- intuition do yeah. that with, you know, like with film, you just, you just go and then see what comes out at the end. Yeah. And that's a lot more, that's my thing. Well, that's, that's how I like it. And I found with film over the years, once you've done it for a long time, you're so in tune, you're so connected to that moment because of those limitations that let's say that I go to Peru for two weeks and I come back, I've got a checklist in my head of what I'm pretty sure I have, even though I don't know 100%, but you're pretty sure because those moments were so connected. I've never, ever, ever felt that way with digital. The only reason the digital, I'm finally enjoying it after 50 cameras and you know 20 years of fighting it, is that the photography has fallen on the importance ranking for me. It's like you know yoga and hiking and cycling and all these things and fishing are above my photography now. And it wasn't that way for 25 years. It was photography was way up above at the top. And I blog all the time. And so it's nice for me to be able to just make the pictures and turn around. Plus for like blurb and all the stuff, it's always digital. It's, you know, right. And everybody wants their photos yesterday. Immediately. And, and yeah. But, you know, now that T-Max 3200 is back out, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I still have my blods and Leicas and stuff. Maybe at some point. Well, they're only making 35 millimeters, so. Don't yeah. get too excited. No, no, but my Leicas are like, you know, they're, they're, your Leica, they're, your their little tiny arms are like cheering and flexing right now for, <laughs> for T-Max. So th- I, I, we talked about this before I hit record, but... Um, I will say also the science behind film yeah. is pretty fantastic. I mean, well, it's just amazing, you know, thinking about all the technology and science that went into that and how you can exploit it and comparing that to digital, you know, film's got, I don't, I don't even know what to call it. It's just, there's a lot more to work with and there's a lot more I mean yeah digital and photoshop and this and you can kind of get the same effect and sometimes you can't tell whether it's film or digital but the process and the 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 tangibility of film too yeah are the things that I worked in for K-Pro for four or five years something like that and going back to Rochester into the buildings where it was like there's the Tri-X building and the coding alleys and the clean suits and all that yeah it's a pretty fascinating history there's two books on Kodak for you people out there that want interesting books on Kodak and film. The first one is called, I want to say it's called Memory City by Alex Webb. And it's a two-part book that I think was published by Radius. And he shot the whole thing on Kodachrome 200 processed in black and white chemistry. Because they didn't have Kodachrome back. Or he had had done it after they stopped processing Kodachrome, right? And and Kodachrome's a black and white film. So all the colors injected on the process, which is a K-14 process, which is why there was only a handful of labs in the country that did it because it was incredibly um, difficult. On a side note, at one point, right before I left Kodak, they actually built a K-14 processor in the back of an RV, and they would drive it. And I went to the Super Bowl in San Diego 
and they pulled this baby up in the parking lot and photographers that were covering the Super Bowl could shoot Kodachrome and have it processed on site, believe how, it or how not. How do you shoot Super Bowl with ISO 25 film? Though? Well, it was 64 in the 200, but you, oh, okay. uh, they were shooting mostly 200, which was my all-time favorite color film. It looked like Tri-X, but with color. It was so grainy and awesome. Um, so we talked a little bit about this before What was the second book? Oh, the second book was um, Catherine uh, Lutenegger, which I think it, um, I interviewed her last year in Australia, and I think she's German. And she did a book on on Rochester, and of course I can't remember the title. I can see her portrait. I can see the cover of the book. I can't remember the title. You can find that links to that book on my site with through her interview on the Dispatches tab. It is a gorgeous book about the actual structure of the city and the buildings that are remaining, and it's so beautiful and so great. And from a former K-Pro person, it was like she encapsulated the absolute feeling of what it was like to be there. So the web book and her book are totally different looks and feels, but if you're collecting photo books, they are both definitely on my on my top list. I would buy both of those. And if you're a geek, there's a third book, which I don't know if it's, I think it's self-published by one of the former Kodak engineers or scientists. It's called Making Kodak Film. Oh, and cool. We'll put a link on the website, but... Uh, or are, you I, put, I you put, are you putting links on my site I'm now? putting links on your site, man. Jesus, uh, so I, I get to take a little bit. But it's it's actually all the technical, you know, it's got all these photographs. It's not a photo book. It's it's more of a... It's a geeka book. It's a geeka book. And it's like how this stuff was made. And it's just phenomenal. Yeah. And this, the, I think he retired and they went back and they let him into all these buildings. And it's... Uh, well, see, the interesting cool. thing is when I think about the Los Alamos lab, I, I laugh at how many cone heads are in that building, right? And then when I think about back to the Kodak days and the technicians, there were a lot of similar. You know, oh yeah, Kodak. Heads. Kodak was probably the same. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, lots of pocket. A lot of companies pocket, back pocket then. Protectors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this earlier, but like, what's your dream scenario of being a photographer? Like, money's outside the outside the bounds of necessity here, and you are able to like paint any canvas you want of your career. Is it long term projects with, for yourself that end up in books and exhibitions or is it you know a web gallery on instagram <laughs> just kidding uh, i'm sick of instagram um gee not me i love it oh, collective sigh from the whole audience <laughs> eyes rolling um i don't know i think at this point you know this last year i've started to get comfortable with what i'm doing that it is you know people respect what i'm doing mm -hmm. more, more than just Here's some money. Go take a portrait of somebody so we can put it in a magazine, which ends up in the recycling bin. Yeah. And so I think that the, the confidence I've gained over the last year and, you know, I did okay financially too, which is kind of a surprise. You know, next year, that's one of the things about this business. Last year was great. Next year could be a failure. Yeah. Um, and that's happened multiple times over the last six or seven years. But, you know, I, I haven't figured out what I want to do yet. People, portraits, stories, New Mexico, that's one thing we share is, is yeah. well, but just going out and exploring and finding things. What is it about the Southwest that you are so fascinated with? Well, it's the light, of course. That's what everyone says, right? No. Yeah, light, that's what you're light. supposed to say. Oh, check, right. check, check that off. Check, check that. box. Get an A for that, too. Um, it's the... It seems like it's still pretty authentic. You know, we're not caught up in the rat race out here. I mean, there is a rat race out here, but it's still not it's, like... It's teeny. They're little. Yeah. They're rat babies. It's not like L.A. and... Yeah, and, thankfully. And technology and... But, you know, people still, you know, it's very family-oriented here. There's there's all this history and culture and these things that happened way before anything happened on the East Coast when 
yeah. when the Brit the Brits came over and yeah. colonized. Um, That's a whole separate story that is absolutely fascinating. And then you get the cultures. You know, you get the, you have the native culture, you have the Hispanic culture, you have the Anglo culture, and it's just this big melting pot yeah. that sometimes overflows in bad ways, but <laughs> is also really interesting in other ways. So I don't know. I just, it's a, it's a very comfortable place for me. You and I talked about that while we were having lunch before this. And there's just, I, I kind of feel this like inner vibration starting, start happening when I start thinking about You New just got to lay off the coffee. Yeah. Well, that's what my buddy says is he can always tell when I've had coffee. Uh, but to me, it's that it, it is so unique here and so different, but it's also a place that you got to work to get in and to understand it. It's not going to come easy. And, uh, but it's fascinating, and I, I, I'm completely in love with this place as well. It's like endless uh, of what, what you can do here. You peel the onion here, and what you find is like uh, pretty revolutionary in my experience. I've never really been anywhere quite like this. And you'll never get to the, you'll never get to no, the center, right? It'll no, the just core keep going is, and going and going. I mean, if I was if I was 18, and skilled and practiced and in form, and I had a 60 year career in front of me where I could just focus on this place you might be able to do some damage, but like me now, no, it's just, it's a, it's a charade, but it's a really fun one. That's worth, worth doing. And uh, the low cost of living. That's what I like too. Cause I'm not making, you know, how do you become a rich photographer? You sell all your gear. <laughs> um, <laughs> or you start with, a, what was the other, the other one is like, how do you make a, uh, how do you make a million dollars in photography? You start with 2 million. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, around here it's, it's nice that it's cheap. It's affordable. The, the commercial jobs don't come along very often, but it's enough to get by and you know, it's. And you had snow in the mountains yesterday. I we mean, did. How amazing yeah, was it's that? still almost there. Well, it's not, it's, I mean, for this year it's amazing. Yeah. We're still like, 48 inches short of where we should be. Yeah, it's going to be dry. Yeah. Last question, and by far the most important, is you are a fellow Toyota Tacoma driver. And that, you know, which means that we've now officially formed another layer to our relationship. I didn't say bond. I didn't know, I I didn't know we had a relationship. <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't say bond. I said relationship now. So tell, tell us about the Tacoma. What year? That's uh, 2007. Bought it at the end of 2006. Silver. The off-road, four-wheel drive. TRD off-road package. Yeah. Yep. And it's got 100, and just crossed 160,000 miles. Oh, oh, getting up there. The only thing that's ever surprised me, you know, I never had any surprises with it. Things has been bomb-proof. It's it's totally low-tech. It's a stick. There's no rear-view camera or touchscreen or whatever. It's yeah. like, it's a truck. Yeah. It's not like that fancy thing you've got in the driveway out there. <laughs> um, and the only thing that has ever surprised me on it was the door prop for the driver's door broke a couple months ago. <sighs> It's like what a, what a piece everything of else is fine. It's got, it's got, it looks like a New Mexico truck. Yeah. Chicks apparently do You ever been stuck? Sorry? Have you ever been stuck? Yeah. yeah. I mean, once, but that was more operator error than anything else. Yeah. No, I've, I've pretty much gotten stuck in every vehicle I've ever had, and I'm sure I will stick this one at some point as well. But to, to your point, mine's a 2017, and they are not built like, the, you have Gen 2, I have a Gen 3. Right. Like every other manufacturer and device in the world, they don't build them like they used to. So I had a 92 Tacoma that I had, we had 270,000 on it when I got rid of it and it was running perfectly fine. All I'd replaced is a taillight bulb. It was original brakes, original clutch on 270,000. This one already, I had to replace the front diff seal, took a rock in the front diff seal in Wyoming and ground around in the circle for God knows how many miles. It was a seal, it was under warranty, whatever, but you know, I can tell this truck's not going to 
it's not going to last. Not, long. No, because no. it's like phones or anything else or digital cameras. That's they right. They want you to buy a new one every five years. And it's not assembled in Japan. It's assembled in other countries. And you're like, okay. Yeah, this mine's is... from mine's from here too. I think it's California. Is it Fremont? They or do something? Mexico. They do California. They do a bunch of other places yeah. as well. So, but anyway, it's um, you know, my, we... my kid wants it in seven, eight years. He's like, Dad, this is going to be my truck. So It'll probably be around. All right. Yeah. Maybe it'll even run. Unless you get to come some commercial jobs and sell out and buy like a, you know. Land Rover. I, not not here. No. Yeah, that's true. There's no likelihood of that no. whatsoever. Well, I totally appreciate you taking the time to do this. We've, we, I've been thinking about doing this for years, and we haven't seen each other in a while. When last time we did, we were in another state. Right. So at Look 3, which is no more, which is a total I, bummer. So I was, what, 2016? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I was bummed to get that email. Um, that's such a great festival. But I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and now we get to do a little quick portrait and then, um, and then I will... wait. Wait, you're putting this on the internet with my picture? Yeah. Okay. Or I could put my picture on there, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Although people never get tired of my picture because they're awesome. But we'll take one of you, and then we'll move on. And um, again, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. And hopefully, we can do this again when we've actually gone out and done more interesting things. When I finally know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Send me a memo. Twenty, thirty years. Yeah, we'll get there. Well, maybe your your truck might not be the around that long, but. Eventually, we'll come back to it. Yeah, and if I have to pull you out of the mud between now and then, happy to. You probably will have to. All right, thanks again, bud. Bye-bye.